Wow, so good to be here. Really good to be here. Um, well, I got a text from Chantel asking me would I possibly consider coming. I think I said yes before I even read the rest of the text. I was like, yeah, of course, I'd love to come. It's so much fun when I was here with you uh, a couple of years ago. So um, I was just thinking there, uh, Chantel and I are really good friends, and a lot of the vineyard pastors were all really good friends. And the thing is about leading a church is you never get to visit your friends' churches. No, because you can't really take a day off your own to go and visit your friends' churches. So um, it's a wee bit like coming and, and visiting Paul and Chantel and meeting some of their children. Do you know what I mean? It's a wee bit like that. You know, you go to visit somebody's house and you know the parents, but you don't really... Anyway, sorry, that maybe didn't work. Anyway, I'll start again. I am absolutely delighted to be here. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I don't know about you, but women, we like a wee bit of context, don't we? Right? We kind of like to know where we all fit. Um, and we moved to Dungannon 12 years ago, and the cool thing about being a blow-in, and we still are a blow-in in Dungannon, is that people can't really face you, because they don't know your granny and your granda and your great-uncle Willie or anybody like that there, so they can't really place who you are. So um, I'm going to tell you a wee bit about my context. So I'm married to Jason, as you heard already. We are married 21 years, just last month. I know I don't look old enough. <coughs> and the other really cool thing is my bridesmaid's here. Jackie, Jackie wave there, she is, one of my bridesmaids is here, really cool story, when I was here two years ago, at the end of the meeting, thankfully the room was dark that time, and Jackie came up to me, and she and I just, we just didn't look at each other, because we hadn't seen each other in about three years, or four years before that, and we're just like, and I'm thinking, I am so glad I didn't know she was in the room, because I probably would have cried, just the whole way through, so it's brilliant to have her here tonight again, um, I, we have three sons, Caleb is, 19 and a half, um, which I can't believe. I can't believe I'm going to have a 20-year-old son this year. That's a wee bit scary. Uh, and he's just finishing up his first year at uni. He's only one week left. What's that about? Like, you pay for these fees and all, and then they finish in May. I'm like, that's not value for money. That wouldn't be value for money anywhere else apart from university. And I'm like, I want to send him back. <laughs> I want to make him go down and do something. He's going to be something he could do for at least another month before he's going to be lolloping about my house. But anyway, he's coming back home again next week. And um, the other, Micah is our second boy, and he is just finished school today. He's in upper sick. So this is his last official day. And he's one of those children. Is this being recorded? <laughs> okay. Micah, I did, honestly, this is the truth. I didn't think we would get him to hear. I just, like, school has just been, seriously, school has just been something that has been incredibly difficult for him the whole way through, from P1 right through now to upper sick, and I just can't quite believe we've got him here. I'm like, so I said to him today, I said, can I open the Prosecco now? <laughs> and he said, no, mum, maybe you should wait until my last exam. I was like, oh, okay, all right, so what date's that? 22nd of June. So on the 22nd of June... I'm opening the Prosecco, and I promise I will share it with other people. I won't drink it all myself. And to celebrate the fact that we have got him to the end of school, all intact and in one piece. So that feels like a huge celebration. And then Matthew, my baby, he's six foot two and a size 12 feet. So he doesn't look like a baby, but he's still my baby. He is in lower six, so he's doing his AS. He's had his first one last week. So our house is busy, crazy, loads of laundry. Anybody else? mothers of sons here dear goodness I mean all you do is wash their laundry and carry food to the house thank goodness for tesco.com because um, Caleb works for Tesco part-time so we get 10% off and we get a really good deal on deliveries which is brilliant so I can be found most times sitting doing my Tesco delivery order um, on my phone so that we've got food in the house so that's a wee bit of context of um, who we are we've been in Dungannon now for 13 years leading church and it is an absolute joy and a privilege to do that. And, yeah, it, we just can't quite believe that um, God chose us in the first place and that he allows us to keep doing it because we have a, an amazing church. And four of the girls came with me tonight. Three of them. There was one other one supposed to come and she didn't come. Three of my. Can I introduce my friends to you? Cheryl, Ruth, and Nicola. That's terrible. My friend, I just forgot it. That's terrible, Nicola. I'm so sorry. It was that we were talking about in the car about forgetting people's names when you pray for them. Anyway, girls, stand up. It's going to be a good night, girls. I really am winging it. Stand up. So 
So the reason I want to introduce you to them now is I may get them to help me pray for you later on. So I just don't want you to think they're some randomers that have just kind of come in. They're with me, um, but they are a bit random. So I have a bit of a confession to make as I begin this evening. I have never read Great Expectations. Anyone else want to confess to that right now? If you want to get off your chest, raise your hand. Oh, thank goodness. I don't feel so bad. I do love to read. In fact, I really love to read, but I haven't really read very many classics. I spectacularly, if that's a word, failed my English A-level, um, but I do love to read. But, you know, I'm one of those people, you know, on social media where it gives you those lists of books you should read before you die, or um, have you read these books, you know, and I always go through them and think, no, 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 no. And then I think, I come away from it thinking, oh my goodness, I should read those books. I really should read those books. Oh my goodness. And then I feel really inadequate. And I feel very, you know, do you ever feel like that? You read those things, you just think, my goodness, there's another list of things that I need to do on top of everything else that's on my list already that I can't do. And sometimes I come away from those things and I just feel inadequate. And I feel like there's all this expectancy on me to try and do another thing or be something else that I'm really not. And sometimes... When I hear the word expectation, often I don't associate it with a positive thing. But very often when I hear the word expectation, it feels it's got negative connotations for me. You know what I mean? Sometimes what I feel and what I kind of walk around with is, is this burden of unmet expectations. You know, I remember the awkwardness of when I have let someone down. And I haven't met their expectations. Ever been there? Very common when you're a pastor, to be honest. Right, Santiago? You were supposed to laugh there. <laughs> you're supposed to laugh along with a nervous laugh. <laughs> but it's a very common thing for a lot of us, isn't it? We just feel that we remember, we hear the word expectation, and you just remember those conversations where you've let someone down and you still feel awkward about that. Or you feel the pain of when your expectations weren't met. And you walked away disappointed. And probably in the years that I've been pastoring, I've observed that the two most common causes of conflict among any of us are often mismatched expectations or miscommunicated expectations. It leads to all sorts of misunderstandings in families, among friends, among work colleagues, in churches, and anywhere where you find people, really, <laughs> anywhere at all, where you find people that are working in a relationship and have to get on with each other. It's just one of those things, isn't it? Mismatched expectations or miscommunicated expectations. And it's actually one of the, the topics that we cover with couples before they get married and their pre-marriage preparation. But at that stage, they're all sitting all lovey-dovey and all like, no, no, it's not us, no, no. We communicate perfectly well. And we're sitting across on the other sofa looking at them going, oh, time will be different. Yes, you think you communicate now, but really you're just about to learn in a few months really what communication is all about. And uh, it's something that I, I try to teach our sons about. And I'm always encouraging them to be clear. What are your expectations? But not only to be clear about them, but to be realistic. Because sometimes we expect far, far too much from other people. And if I'm really honest, and it's good to be honest, isn't it? Especially when you're the speaker. There's been times when I have felt disappointed or felt let down by God because somehow things just didn't go how I expected them to and I've got angry which usually means I've been crying because I'm one of these people that when I get angry I cry because I don't quite know what to do with the emotion anyone else like that and it's not that nice you know crying that you see in the movies <laughs> you know that nice crying it is the complete ugly crying, snot, tears, the whole works, red face, red eyes, blotchy skin, the whole thing. And I'm usually be crying to God and I'm saying to him how unfair the situation is or, or, you know, how this isn't how it was supposed to be. And I remember um, when we were married, about three years, we had a rough patch. And any of you who are married here for any longer than three years have probably rough patch somewhere along the line at that time I didn't realize it was normal but since then since I'm now 21 years down the road I realize it's very very normal 
And I thought at that time but that my world was completely falling apart. Now, I could easily accept that Jason and I were capable of completely messing up our marriage. I could totally accept that. And I could accept that we could, you know, we could cause harm to each other in all sorts of ways. But what I couldn't somehow conjure up in my head, I just couldn't imagine that God would let it happen. You see, in my head, I had conjured up this imaginary promise that God had made to me. And it was so, when something like this, I sort of thought, but God, you promised me, you promised me that if I kept the rules, if I married a Christian, kept myself pure, fact of the married a Christian thing, they're really hard to find. They were 21 years ago. I mean, they still are, aren't they? So like, it wasn't an easy thing to find one in the first place. But anyway, sorry, I digress. So I said, God, you know, I married a Christian man. I kept myself pure. I went to church. I was a good Christian. You know, I tried to live my life the best way I can. And somehow along the line, I thought that equaled a pain-free, perfect life. And I remember saying over and over to God, but you promised me, but you promised me, you promised me. And then I heard the voice of God gently, as he does. Where did I promise you that, Michelle? And I started to scan the memory. I thought, there has to be a verse in there for this. And I looked and I thought, it has to be. There's some, somebody definitely told me this. Somebody's taught me this. And I was thinking, well, if I can't find the verse, I'm going to find the preacher. And I'm going to have stern words with them. And I just kept saying, no, but you did promise me. And I felt the father saying again, no, but where did I promise you that? He says, I promised you that I would never leave you. I promised you that nothing would ever separate you from my love. I promised you that when you would walk through the fire that I would be with you. I promised you. I promised you. And he kept reminding me of all the promises that he did promise me. You see, my expectations had got really badly messed up. My theology and Hollywood movies had somehow collided and it hadn't resulted in the truth of who God was or actually what he had promised me. And I needed to discover and be reminded all over again of the great expectations that we can and should have of our great God. True expectations that turn out to be way, way more than we could ever ask or think. Tonight, I want to look at three parts of great expectations. And the first one is great expectations of God great expectations of ourselves and great expectations of what could be. You see, God didn't let me down. In truth, in that difficult, hard, messy season of our lives, God did everything but let us down. But my view of God had to change to see that. You see, he was so very faithful to his promises. But if we don't know what his promises are, then how do we know if that's a true picture of God that we're experiencing. It's almost like if we don't know the true promises of God, then we don't know what to expect from him, do we? If we don't know who he is, then we won't recognize him when he walks into the room and he walks into our situations. I needed to reset my expectations. And some of us, and maybe a lot of us in this room tonight, we've grown up with a warped view of God. We expect little of him, or else we see him as being far off, someone who is distant, angry, condemning judge. But here's some truths about who he is. Exodus 34, 6. God describes himself to Moses and he says, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So this is when God appears to Moses and he's announcing to Moses who he is. And he says, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He's also a God of great love and mercy, Ephesians 2, 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Love, mercy compassion, faithfulness. This is who our God is. And when we read the Gospels, and we read about Jesus, 
Jesus is the perfect representation of God. Everything we read about him is fully God. When we, whatever we see in him, whatever we see in Jesus, when we read those gospels, do you ever read the gospels and they just come alive to you? Or maybe you've never read them. And if you've never read them, can I encourage you, get a Bible and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and fall in love with Jesus. He is the most compelling person who's ever walked this earth. And everything we see in him, we see in the Father. Hebrews 1.3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. See, sometimes I think we're tempted to think of Jesus as our best friend. He's like the gentle, softy part of the Godhead. Do you ever think like that, or is that just me? Okay, it's just me. All right. But it's like we think Jesus is like he's the, you know, and I think part of it is is because he's walked the earth, isn't he? He's became human. He took on flesh. He, and he did that so he could fully identify with us. That's exactly why Jesus came in flesh. But when Jesus came in flesh, God came in flesh because it's the whole Trinity thing, Father, God, and Holy Spirit. They are all Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all the same. It's all the one person. So when Jesus came to earth, he was the full representation of God the Father. But sometimes it's like we come to Jesus and he's like the easy one. He's like the accessible one. But when we think of Father God, we can't help but think sometimes of this cross, angry headmaster waiting to judge, condemn, and punish us. But that's so not true. That's so not who Father God is. That is not who he is. You see, it's his love that draws us to repentance. Our Father in heaven is a good, good Father. And he gives good gifts to his children. That's the God we can expect. That's the God we expect to turn up in our lives time and time again. <clears throat> Matthew 7. I'm going to read Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn to it. If you don't, it's a very common uh, passage, and I'm just going to read it. And it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Oh, I've just read that again, haven't I? Sorry. <laughs> My Kindle's playing up. All right. For anyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. We come to our good Father who loves us, a God who loved the whole world. Um, I was having a conversation with someone the other day, and it was kind of one of those absolutely clarifying conversations. You never have one of those where I'm a verbal processor, right? which sometimes means that while I'm talking, something finally clicks, um, which is good, but can be a wee bit confusing because it means I can change my mind halfway through the conversation. Because I can start with one position and end up convincing myself of something completely different by the time I get to the end. So you kind of have to keep up with me. But anyway, I was having this conversation with someone and we were talking about, um, we were talking about people who don't yet know Jesus and people who do know Jesus. And, and I was just saying, you know, God loves the whole world the whole world there is no differentiation between jesus you know those of us who have gladly and fully accepted jesus in our lives and accepted the gift that he is to us we are no more loved than those who have not yet made that decision john three sixteen, the verse that we almost i don't think there's anybody in northern ireland there's hardly a person in northern ireland who's not heard it it's a brilliant verse for God so loved the what? The world. The whole world. It wasn't for God to love the church. It wasn't for God to love the good people. 
It wasn't so God so loved those who he knew were going to believe in him and all that. It was for God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son. There's no, when the Father God looks on this earth, he just feels love for every single person. There is no, yeah, there's no one who does not experience or be open to being lavished upon by his love. See, he's, he longs, he longs to, to reconnect with us. He longs to reach out and rescue us. That's what Father God's love is like. It abounds for us. It, it goes to the, the farthest reach. And, and when you hear the story Jesus tells about the sheep, about leaving the 99 to go after the one, we catch a glimpse of his heart, don't we? He leaves the 99 to go after the one we skither who goes running down. Any of you here are sheep farmers? Nobody's going to admit it yet. I was waiting for you to put up your hand because I know you're a sheep farmer. <coughs> Normally what happens with sheep, keep, correct me if I'm wrong, I used to have to, um, I grew up in a village and I wasn't a farmer, but my uncle had a wee farm. So sometimes I was drafted in to move sheep, right? Which meant we had to walk like maybe two mile moving these sheep. But if one darted off in one direction, oh my goodness, they all just went you know, like flying, and then you were flying after them, and you're trying to cover holes and hedges, and you have a stick, and not that the stick made any difference, because if a sheep came running towards me, I ran away. I was like, I was rubbish, absolutely rubbish at it. But that shows us the heart of the Father. He leaves the 99 to go looking for the one. You see, we come to our good Father, and we ask, we seek, we knock. But what are we asking, seeking, and knocking for? See, sometimes we don't know what to ask for, do we? And often we pitch too low. We pitch too low. Because here's the truth. You can never pitch too high. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. All we ask or imagine, immeasurably more. What's more than more? Immeasurably more. We can't pitch it too high. When we come to God, we can't ask for something that's too big. We can't seek for something that is too enormous. And we can't ask for a door to open to something for us that is way beyond what we think we can have. We can't pitch too high. That's who he is. He's a God who gives immeasurably more. He is a father that if someone, if we come and ask him for bread, he would never give us a stone. He would never give us a stone. He would never give us something less than what's good. You see, it's our expectations of what can God can do in us are often low rather than high. Often they're low rather than high. And that's because of our past experiences. You know, sometimes it's, it's our ask is low because we don't expect anything better. Or we look around us and we do that terrible thing of comparison and we look around us and we think, no, I could see why God would do that for that person. You know, we justify it in our head. We think, I can totally see how God would answer that person's prayer. They are a great person. They're lovely, all this here. And we have our list of reasons why God would answer that person's question. But then whenever it comes to us, we're like, no, God, no. And I don't know why we're like that. Because in God's eyes, we're all equal. We're all his favorites. Do you know that? Turn to each other and say, you're God's favorite. was it long you're my, you're his favorite give me time to try and fix my phone 
that's playing up on me here. And you'd be glad to know my timer has stopped. So I have no idea how long I've been talking for. <laughs> I think um, I'm expecting Andrea or Chantel to rugby tackle me to the ground when it is time to finish. <laughs> you see, my story is this. I grew up, um, and I never, ever imagined or dreamed that I would get to do what I do. Right? Jason's story is a bit different. When he, he, he remembers clearly at three years old, standing out in his black back garden with a wee blue Bible, pretending to be a preacher. He was a naughty wee scamp. I can't believe he was even doing that at three when I hear the stories of what he got up to when he was young. Anyway, that was his story, right? That was not mine. Um, I became a Christian when I was seven and went to church and they say, always tried to do the right thing. Was a good girl most of the time, Jackie, isn't that right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell any stories on me. Most of the time I tried to be a good girl. Um, but I never, ever, ima- I mean, I never imagined, I didn't, like, dream that I would ever get to serve God in the way that I do. I never dreamt that I would get to go to India and meet with some of the most beautiful, amazing, broken women in the world and share the love of Jesus with them. I never, ever, ever believed that I would get to do any of that because I was too ordinary, too small, too hidden, and too shy. You see, when I looked around me, God only called the extraordinary, the special, and the super gifted. And I just never fitted into that category. I would sit in the back seat of my church and I would listen to missionaries coming and people from the Bible college and I would just be in awe. I would just sit and be in awe of them. But honestly, never once did I think, I could do that. Never once. My expectations of myself were just so low. And it wasn't as if my parents didn't encourage me to be or do whatever. They did. They were brilliant. So I don't know where this came from, but just my expectations of myself were always incredibly small and low. I had a very definite ceiling. A very definite ceiling. Part of it constructed by culture, maybe, that I grew up in, but definitely lowered by me. You see, it felt safe to be hidden. There was a little chance of disappointment or unease. There was a small space, but it felt very safe. It felt like a safe place. <clears throat> the problem is, over time, that that small place became stifling and there was no room to grow. There was no room to grow for me in my faith or as a young woman. And it became more like a prison than a safe cave to hide in. See, it's time to break through our ceilings. And I say ceilings because honestly, I think there's many layers of them. That's been my story anyway. It feels like I break through one ceiling and all of a sudden I look up and I go, oh, see, there's another one. It's like we're in a 12-story building or I'm not sure. I'm sure I've broken through more than 12 ceilings already. But God has stretched me and and taken me through. But it's like we, we break through one ceiling and all of a sudden it's like, oh. Do you ever watch those restoration programs and they go into an old building and they take a sledgehammer and they, they knock through a ceiling and all of a sudden the whole building opens up and there's room to breathe and there's um, possibilities and there's space to dream and imagine of what could be. And that's exactly the same as whenever we break through the ceilings in our lives. So what's your ceiling? What is hindering your breakthrough? Is it wrong thinking? about who God is? Do you need a fresh revelation of who God the Father is to you tonight and what he can do? Is it that we need to open our eyes and our, and, and see the absolute um, endless possibilities with God? I mean, maybe it's a ceiling put there by others, rules, religion. You know, in Northern Ireland, we've grew up with so many rules and religion. I often say if rules and religion was going to save Ireland, we'd all be saved a very, very long time ago. We can't do and we don't do and we should not. Sometimes those are ceilings that are just put on us, aren't they? I want you to pause for just a moment. I don't want to rush through this, but right now for a moment, what is the ceiling right above you right now? Is it something in your past that has you locked in? 
has it become a place for you to hide, to stay within your comfort zone, to avoid risk, to avoid the hard, uncomfortable stretch of growth, a place to stay small, to stay quiet, to hide from view? There's nothing more than the enemy of our souls loves than to put us in a corner so that we hide and stay silent. Nothing more that he loves. And he does it with all of us. Is it the voice of others that say, who does she think she is? She's got way too big for her boots. She needs brought down a peg or two. Or sometimes do you find yourself in situations where you speak, but you don't feel like you're being heard, so you just stop talking after a while. And you decide, it's much better for me just to be quiet than to be constantly shushed and feel like I'm being shut up. See, maybe your ceiling is being reinforced on you by others. But right now, I want you to quietly name it. You need to take out a piece of paper and write it down. Do that. Write it down on your phone. Take a nap on that. Because here's the thing about this ceiling, whatever it is for you. It's limiting your expectations. So that when you come to God to ask, to seek, and to knock, you're pitching way too low. Way too low. And tonight, I want us to take a sledgehammer. I was going to try and borrow one, and I forgot. I'll be honest, it would have been great. Maybe not. I might have done some damage. Maybe not. It would have been a good idea. But I want us to imagine like a sledgehammer, and we're going to break those ceilings because we are pitching way too low with our expectations of what God can do and wants to do, longs to do for you and through you. Great expectations of what could happen is my last point. Anything can happen with God. Anything can happen. Matthew 19, 26. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Anything is possible. All I can hear in my ears when I was finishing this talk off this morning because I'm very super organized. All I could hear in my ear was Ellie Golden's song, Anything Can Happen. Anything Can Happen. I won't sing it. See, first, the first thing we need to do right here and right now is we, are, we need to realign our minds to who God is. He's a good father who loves us, who loves to give us good gifts to his children. And secondly, we're going to smash those ceilings that are keeping our expectations way, way too low. Way too low. And then we start to open our eyes to see and expect God to do immeasurably more. Immeasurably, immeasurably more. And I have been so excited about coming here tonight because I am anticipating that God is already doing immeasurably more among you tonight. Cheryl and I worked together, and I was talking to her during the week about what I was speaking on. I was really uh, trying to get her to help me write it. Um, <laughs> she did send me a couple of quick good wee, wee, wee things. It was very helpful. Um, but we got so excited. We said, you know, God is going to move. God is going to do some amazing things. Because here's the thing. You see, when we start to anticipate and we start to talk with expectancy, when we raise our, our just our expectancy level, when we start to think bigger, immeasurably more, it's really hard for us as humans to think in the immeasurably more, isn't it? Our minds are so contained, so contained, so locked in. We just live with these ceilings in our life that we don't even see them anymore. We're not even aware of them until, until eventually we start to feel crushed and um, weighed down with them. But this immeasurably more, there's immeasurably, measurably more what God wants to do with us. Now here's an important side note, right? So we're going along a path and I'm jumping onto a lay-by for just a moment. Stay with me. When I talk about expecting God to show up and do supernatural things, I am in no way limiting him to our church gatherings, okay? We do know that God moves and works outside the church too. Yeah, we all know that. Great. You see, 
If God can move here among us tonight, and he will, and he is, I believe he is already healing some of you right now as you sit in your chair. He is already speaking to some of you about things in your life that you've kept hidden for years and you've been so scared to look at and God is beginning to reveal them to you because he wants to set you free and bring freedom to your life tonight. He's already doing that right across this room. I know that because that's what I expect him to do because that's what he does. When Jesus walks into the room, everything changes. Everything changes. So tonight what we're doing is we're just raising your level of expectancy so that when you walk out those doors, you're expecting God to do the exact same thing as you've seen him do in here. Because he wants to do it out there just as much. Because he loves the whole what? The whole world. The whole world. God moving supernaturally and miraculously and encountering us and bring us freedom is never, ever meant to be contained within the church. Never, ever. He is too big. He is too immeasurably more. The key is we watch and we look out for him. And whatever we see him doing, we jump on it. Jesus said that he could only do what he saw the Father doing. And we are exactly the same. That's what I mean. We need to know the truth of who God is so that we can recognize him. The, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. We listen and we look and we watch and we say, where are you, God? Where are you, God? Where are you? Every day we should get up with that expectancy of going, where are you, God? Where are you going to show up today? Who are you going to bring into my path? Who am I going to get to pray for? Who am I going to get to speak words of encouragement over? Who am I going to get to speak words of life over? Maybe today is the day I'm going to lead somebody to Jesus. Imagine we all jumped out of bed with that excitement every morning. You're not so sure. Tonight, this is like a classroom for us to learn and watch and recognize what God is doing so that we can spill it out into our everyday lives. Every day, everywhere, for everyone. The key to the supernatural, the key to seeing God work beyond our expectations, to see God move in, in ways immeasurably more, the key to that is that we need to build up our hunger. We need to become hungry for more of God. And it's our personal responsibility to stay passionate. Proverbs 16, 26 says, A worker's appetite works for him, for his hunger urges him on. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Spend time with people who are further on in the journey than you. I'm going to pick on Cheryl again. But this woman is amazing. My wee Cheryl is amazing. Not only did she run the marathon on Monday with her tiny wee legs, which I can't believe. <coughs> but this, this woman goes out in the streets twice a week. And she is so courageous that she scares the life out of me. Now, every now and again, I make myself go with her. Okay, So strictly speaking, I'm her boss or her colleague, as they like to call me. But anyway, and I, I make myself go with Cheryl on the streets because it is the scariest thing ever. If you ever want to be really scared, go with Cheryl on the streets, right? Because she, she has no fear. Well, she tells me she's afraid, but she doesn't look afraid. She goes up and she talks to people. She just begins conversations and then she prays for them. She's seen people healed in the streets. She's seen people come to know Jesus. It is just absolutely incredible. And I go, she encourages me. She's the person I, and I have to actually probably book myself in again, Cheryl, I'll have to confess. So I'm saying this in front of everybody publicly. I'm going to have to go out with her again the next couple of weeks because I haven't done it for a while. You see, if you want to see more people healed, then do you know what you need to do? You need to pray for more people to be healed. I had a meeting last week with um, a lady from social services. And she dropped in, um, she wanted to, to meet with me just to talk about some of the mental health services in our area and to see if there's anything as a church we could do and vice versa and that kind of thing. Um, and as we were chatting, I picked up that she had a Derry accent and uh, Jason's from Derry. So I was like, oh, you're from Derry. And then we started chatting about everything and anything. And in the middle of that conversation, she told me that she'd broken a bone in her foot. And I'm sitting going, I'm like, oh my God, I know what you're going to ask me to do. And I don't want to do this. Um, I'm already sitting here trying to play down. I don't want her to think we're a weird church or anything like that there. And I'm all this here kind of stuff's going on my head. And she says, oh, but I saw you just break your, oh, that's terrible. 
and all that there. And, and then I'm saying, is that how you just do them now? Is it well? Is it all healed up? All healed up? All good? All good? And she's going, no, it's not all good. I'm like, no. <sighs> Spot the pastor. Anyway, and, um, and then like, she talks on a wee bit. And then, then we finish the conversation. She, we're changing, exchanging emails and all that there. And I'm like, I cannot let her leave this place. The next thing, a few people landed, and I thought, yay, people can't do it in front of other people. That's okay. And then I'm like, no, I can feel the Holy Spirit saying to myself, pray for that woman's foot. So I did. And I said to her, can I pray for you? And yes, it was awkward. <laughs> it was very awkward. But she said, yeah. She says, yeah, pray for me. So I prayed for her foot. And I don't know if she was healed or not. Because she very quickly left straight after I prayed. <laughs> well, I mean, the speech she went out the door, maybe she was healed. <laughs> because she, I don't know. Actually, maybe I should have took that as a sign. Um, but here's the thing. You know, I trust that God did something with her foot. But I, more than that, I trust that she knew that God sees her and knows her and cares enough to have a lunatic like me pray for her. And here's the other part of it is as well, is I need to keep breaking through my ceiling. See, I love being comfortable. I love it. I love it. I love being comfortable. I don't like risk. Cheryl and Jason talk about risk all the time. And as soon as you get comfortable doing something, the pair of them are like, oh, we need to do this. And I'm like, no, let's just stay here. Let's just stay in the comfortable. We're just getting comfortable. We're, just this, we're all just getting a handle on this all. And now you're taking us off in another direction. No, we don't want to do that. I have to force myself to be around people like Cheryl and other people that challenge me and encourage me towards more. That's what you need to do. You see, if we want to see more people's marriages restored, then we need to wade into the middle of the mess with them and expect God to bring restoration and healing. If we want to see the grip of mental illness broken, then we need to expect God to bring solutions and allow ourselves to carry some of the pain and the trauma that people with mental illness problems carry. If we want to see God bring salvation to our families, then we need to fast, pray, and talk to them about Jesus, and then expect to see those seeds bear fruit. Ask, seek, knock. You will be answered, you will find, and the door will open. The question is, are you asking with enough expectance? What are you asking for? Are you asking for the immeasurably more? What are you seeking? Is it too low a pitch? Raise it up. What's behind the door? What do you need God to do in your life tonight? Imagine Jesus has just walked into this room because I believe he's already here. What do you need from him? It's like he's standing here saying, like he did so often when he met people as he walked the earth, he said, what do you want me to do? That's exactly what he's saying to you tonight. It's exactly what he's saying tonight. In the past couple of weeks, if we've gathered together to worship, God has begun to move during our worship times. And two weeks ago, there was a young man who's part of our church began to have all his doubts about God overturned and have a realization that God actually might be real right in the middle of worship. He went home that day and gave his life to Jesus at his kitchen sink, led by his wife. <laughs> and just last Sunday, during worship, we sang a song called When You Walk Into The Room. And I want to I wanna read you this verse. It says, when you walk into the room, sickness starts to vanish. Every hopeless situation ceases to exist. When you walk into the room, the dead begin to rise because there is resurrection life. In all you do. And as we sang those words in that moment, I knew that God was healing people in the room. So straight after worship, I jumped up and I said, right, I want you to try something that you haven't done before. That's what I want you to do right now. Stand up. And as I did that last Sunday and I said, is there... Try something that you couldn't do before or try something that would prove to you if God has already healed you. Because I honestly believe, and this is my expectation tonight, is that as you were worshipping and as I've been talking, and even as you've walked in through those doors, that God began to heal your body. 
But the only way you're going to know is you have to try something. So if you have a sore back, try that. If you have a sore knee, sore ankle, sore head, I don't know, right? And then when I did this last week, there was a few people then started to wave at me. So if you are noticing any difference in your symptoms from when you came in, why don't you wave at me? That's a very scary part for the preacher. Try something you, had, you couldn't do before. Try something that would normally give you pain. And if it isn't giving you pain, then wave at me. It might even just be a slight improvement. It might not be completely gone, but a slight improvement. Anyone? No. Go on. Try again. There's people here in particular, and you have a sore back. And um, I sense that there's at least two of you, and you've had back problems due to an accident. And you're still suffering from the pain of that. Is that you? Anybody here that has a back pain due to an accident? Yeah. Anyone else? Two? Anyone else? Three? Yeah. Four? Would you ladies be comfortable to come up for us to pray for you? Or would you rather stay where you are? Come on on up. So you're already experiencing healing about 90% better than you've been all day. Wow, 90% better than she's been all day, right? That's fantastic. Fantastic. Right, so why don't you pray for someone else who's come up with a sore back, okay? Um, you girls, come pray. Now, the reason that I'm, I'm just, the reason I'm doing this right now is because sometimes we have to see it to know that it's real, Okay. And what's happening right now is God is actually beginning to raise our level of expectancy. Because as we begin to see him move and we begin to see him heal people, then all of a sudden we are expecting him to see him do more. Okay? So we're all around the room. Anyone else who's, who has had pain before they come in, why don't you try it again? Try something you couldn't do before. And if you feel or notice a difference, wave at me. You know, try and see if I can see you from here. short prayers and then ask them to try something to see if it's any different in the pain. Band, you could come up if you want. We're going to, um, Sarah Ann is going to lead us in a, another song and we're just going to begin to worship Jesus again. And this time I want us to just have an expectancy of, um, I just really sense that really strongly that Jesus is saying, what do you want from me? What do you need from me this evening? And then after these guys are finished, we're finished this song, we're going to bring the prayer team up. And if you want to come forward and get prayer for whatever it is, See, tonight, I just sense that God wants to bring freedom. There's some of you that have been living under that ceiling. And as I have talked about that ceiling thing, it's like you can almost feel your head hitting against it. And every time you go to try to do something different or you try to grow or you try to reach beyond where you are, you just keep hitting against the ceiling. And tonight is the night that God wants to break that ceiling. Break it. And we would love to pray for you. We would love to see the freedom come in your life. We'd love to see breakthrough and freedom. Any difference, guys? You feel heat? Where are you? You feel heat in your back. Keep praying. Yeah. Do you feel heat? Any relief? How much? 50%. Fantastic. 
See, God is moving. He, he wants to do immeasurably more, immeasurably more. So if you are sick in your body tonight, we don't have to call out whatever your ailment is or whatever your illness is or your sickness or your condition, but we would love to pray for you to see God heal you physically in your body. We would love to see God um, spring freedom in your life. We would love to see God bring creative solutions to situations that you're facing in your life that you just keep hitting against and hitting against and there never seems to be any breakthrough. We just long to see God do immeasurably more in those situations tonight. Yeah. somebody here and um, your bubble has been burst I don't know by the words of somebody else I just think that once you've heard that that you'll know that it's you and if there's a Jessica in the room I'd love you to come up and give prayer because I'm not absolutely sure what that is for I think um, maybe you're quite driven at the minute but I can see you driving in the book Create Expectations um, Miss Havisham was found in a room where all the windows were and the curtains were pulled over because she'd been disappointed by life by an event in life and the cobwebs had grown up and stuff um, and I think there's a lady here and you've been disappointed and for many years you've allowed that to just keep out the light and if that's you I really really believe there's somebody here and that's you and I think God wants to open the curtains tonight and bring you to freedom um, if you're here tonight and this isn't the norm for you, if you've never been to church and this is wacky and it's way out there, I want you to hear the Father just call your name tonight. And he just says, I love you and I always have. And all that you've been through, I can heal you, he says. All the relationships that have been broken. I don't know if you're a single mom maybe. Would you come up and just open your heart to Jesus? Just open your heart to Jesus. You don't know everything about him. I don't really know everything about him yet, and I've journeyed with him for a while. But if that's you tonight, I'd love to pray with you that you'd know freedom and love and joy and peace in Jesus. And we just love to see your heart just blossom and flourish. If any of those things make sense to you, will you come up and just be brave? Please. Thank you. 